uh, just just landed uh, a little bit ago from um, Oakland, and then I'm going to fly back after the last service to, like you, go be with my family. So uh, my my wife won this year. Um, we're all we're with her family. So of course they picked the furthest distance. You know, <laughs> it's really sweet. Uh, I wanted to um, share with you a, a message that's been on my heart, and um, it, it's kind of come together uh, through the Christmas season. And just thinking of the concept of grace as the staff. Um, having entered into the city council and, and being busy with American renewal projects and doing a lot of traveling, I rely heavily on the staff and, uh, they have the, the management team gets together and they orchestrate things and they, they want me at those meetings and to the best of my ability, I try to make them and they, they want to know my heart and they want to try to implement these things. And I just, you know, I, I knew nothing about all the decorations. I didn't know anything really about the theme and uh, each week I'd come in and, and just be blown away. And uh, I, I've been reflecting on how blessed we are to have the staff we have. And I'm so grateful. And I, I want to take a minute just to thank them. And let's clap for them. So. In, uh, in preparation, I was asked to do an interfaith service at the Mormon uh, church on herbs. And um, I, I guess I represented uh, Protestant. Uh, there, there was a, a Methodist minister there. He did a great job. He had a great sermon. Uh, we had um, uh, a bunch of different uh, folks. Yeah, and it was it was it, it was interesting. Um, but I, I had a chance to just minister and uh, just present the Lord as best I could, and um, and I was so grateful uh, to the LDS for inviting me. Uh, they didn't ask me, they didn't hinder anything that I was to say. And I shared about the great Christ comet, the book, um, uh, that, that has touched my heart and, uh, referred that to all the folks in attendance to read it. Um, I talked about the difference of our theology. I opened by saying, um, one of your folks, Kevin Hamilton, who's now quorum of the 70. Now, if you don't know LDS, quorum of the 70 is, the highest ruling body uh, of the LDS, and from the Quorum of the Seventy, they appoint the the apostles. Um, and so he has a chance in time, he's a very young Quorum of the Seventy, he has a chance in time to be one of the apostles and maybe even the president. And I I went to Salt Lake City with him and ministered with him and uh, had a chance. My wife and I went out to dinner with he and his wife, and I told Kevin, I said, you know, in Mormonism, you've got three heavens and no hell. And in Orthodox Christianity, we have a heaven and a hell. Mine's a tougher sell. And I shared that with the, the LDS. Not, I was thinking maybe just bomb. They laughed. But my, my heart's desire was to kind of create a difference so that they could see. And then I wanted to share stories so that they could sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then to focus on the passage. And they had assigned a passage that I just taught that Sunday. And I just thought how marvelous the Lord is and, and how God moved. Um, but I heard uh, uh, President Olson, who's the president of one of the stakes awards here, and, and our theologies are completely different, and, uh, and, and we agree to disagree, um, but we have a relationship, and uh, we, we live in the same community. And uh, I, I heard him share a story about his trip to Ephesus, and I had commented that to him and his wife, Annie, and I said, you know, I went to Ephesus, and it was, like for you, one of the most profound trips of my life. 
And uh, Christmas time is difficult because you miss loved ones that have passed. For some of you haven't lost a loved one, um, you, you may not be able to grasp this, but my mom passed away a few years ago, and my mom used to just love Christmas. She, she went all out. Uh, the house would be resplendent. She attention to every detail in the home. And, um, and, and now that she's passed, it's, we're almost rudderless, the, the four children that remain. My dad's in a home with Alzheimer's, and we're just trying to figure out how to continue on. We've kind of broken into our own families to figure out our own personal traditions, but so many things my mom has infused in our lives that we still apply. And I miss her. I really do. I miss her. Um, I was watching Michelle uh, up north as she's just being, a, as she always has been, an amazing mom. And here she is watching her oldest daughter mother her grandson and watching as Molly is taking on the role that Michelle once had and watching as Molly is, is instructing Oliver and he's learning how to talk. And uh, Michelle wants to not be called grandma. She wants to be called uh, mousy mama. And, and Oliver, just the last few days, started saying the first name, Mousy. And it's adorable. Melt you. I mean, anything, I'll give him anything he wants, up to half my kingdom. Mousy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm melted. Hadn't learned my name yet, and it's a little irritating. But, um, but I'm watching as Molly is tenderly caring for him, and he's, he's bringing over books, uh, Christmas books. There's a basket of them at my sister-in-law's house, and he brings them over, and, and um, uh, Julia, his cousin, is reading through these books, and he can't get enough of them. He brings another book, and then uh, goes through that book, and he'll bring another book, and, and the stories, and he's just captivated by the pictures and the stories, and, and I, 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 it just all came together for me, and I pray that the message ministers to you uh, this night, because um, I want to talk about Mary. I want to talk about Mary. And it's fascinating to me. My mother, uh, my father were Catholics. Um, my dad still is. He's he's hasn't gone to be with the Lord yet. And I always told my parents, I said, you know, I think Catholics venerate Mary too much, and Protestants don't venerate her enough, which means give her honor. That's what venerate means. Um, an amazing woman. I mean, you read the, the Mary's Magnificat, the the story that that she writes of herself, how she's chosen. Uh, to bear God's son, and you read about this in the gospel account, and it's a, an amazing story of a very remarkable woman. And I was touched because the story that President Olson had shared about his trip to Ephesus was similar to mine. It would be for me uh, the last trip I'd take with my mom and my dad. My dad was in, in the throes of Alzheimer's, and as a matter of fact, even on the plane ride over to Europe, a benefactor of my, my mother's dear friend had paid for us to go and she went all out. She was a, a wealthy, childless widow, and she paid for business class seats, which ruined me. <laughs> I can't. You fly business class, you just never want to go anywhere else. Uh, what, coach? I don't do coach. I, you know. And here we are in these, these seats on Lufthansa, and my mother is fiddling with the buttons and all the technology, and she's irritated, and it's, it's upsetting my dad because my dad has lost his short-term memory, and all he knows in life is I'm to take care of this woman next to me. He's been doing that for over 50 years, and this is the woman I'm caring for, and she's agitated, so he's agitated. And I'm telling my mom, Mom, you got to calm down. It's really affecting Dad. And my mother just is getting in one of her moods, and finally, my dad just flips out. And in the middle of the flight, and we're over the Atlantic, he's, he's exhausted. He doesn't know where he is, and he just he gets up, and he's just furious, and he walks out, and I realize I've got to care for him. My mother has fallen asleep. Everyone else in business class is asleep. And my dad 
you know, cussing, you know, and he, that's not his style. I've, I've never heard the man cuss, and he just, I want off, I, I open the door, open the, and he used a couple of expletives, and he was yelling, open the door, and he's walking over to the door, and I said, Dad, we can't open the door. Where, where am I? Why, why am I here? And he's just furious, and I just started praying, and I just said, God, help me. Help me, Dad. And um, my heavenly father just said, tell your dad what a wonderful father he's been, and what a neat, neat husband he's been. I said, Dad, you know, you're a remarkable dad. I love the way you care for mom. I think you're upset because mom's not happy and that makes you unhappy. And as I just started to tell him these things, he calmed down. And we went over, we sat down in the chair and I was next to him. I just began to fill him with memories of my childhood and what a neat father he was. And shortly thereafter, he fell asleep and we arrived and and um, I remember realizing this disease is awful. It's stealing my dad. And uh, we, we, we ended in, in a, we were on a cruise and we ended up in a town called Kusadasi and it was the town of Ephesus. It's the ruins of the ancient city where the apostle Paul evangelized. He spent four years there with uh, his physician, Luke. And we know this because Luke wrote in, in um, uh, Luke 20, or excuse me, in Acts 20, uh, the, Luke wrote both the book of Acts and the gospel according to Luke. He wasn't an eyewitness, nor was he a disciple, but he was Paul's physician, and he recounted these things. And uh, he spoke about being in Ephesus and, and establishing the school of Tyrannius and, and making disciples there in Ephesus. And so we traveled there. And when we got up there, I didn't realize this. We get up to, to Ephesus, we go through the ruins, and then we take a bus ride, which my mother wanted to do, being Catholic, up to the purported site in, in, uh, in, in Catholic uh, theology where Mary was translated, taken up into heaven. And Protestants don't hold to that. We believe she died. And I've, I've, I've seen um, in, in Jerusalem her tomb, uh, purported to be her tomb. And Catholics don't believe that she died. Uh, they believe that she was immaculate, sinless. And, and that is a, a big dividing point in Catholicism and Protestantism. But as we got up to this location... Putting aside this, this, you know, being translated, putting that aside, it was the purported home of where the Apostle John took Mary um, to care for her in her later years after Jesus had died. And I was touched by that. You know, my mom needed a touch of grace. She was scared. And I think all of us could, could easily grasp that emotion right now in the world we're facing, just fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of the future, what's happening. We gather in church on, on Christmas Eve to have the hope of the gospel infuse us with this opportunity to overcome fear, for God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. My mother was afraid. Her best friend of over 50 years, was his mind was going. And it would just be a few short months later, my dad would be in a home. My mom swore she'd never put him in a home, but she had to make that decision. I knew it wasn't easy for her. It tore her apart. I remember every time we'd go see dad, he'd come out to the gate and he would stand by the gate. His mom would get in the car. And uh, my mom wouldn't cry until we pulled away. And then she would just sob. I'd comfort her. And uh, how hard that was. She'd visit him every day. Even to this day, he still has a visitor every day. He's loved and he's cared for. But as I, I, I was there in Ephesus, something profound happened. 
we were at the house of Mary, and it was a beautiful location. It was up in the hills above Ephesus. And Ephesus had been a port city, but the, the sediment had, had pushed the landmass further out, so the city was now inland. But above the city of Ephesus in these hills where there were trees was this, this stone structure that was purported to be Mary's home. And it was a, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in all my travels. And it was peaceful. And there was a spring there that people were bottling water and thinking some sort of mystical properties contained in the water. And I watched my mother filling bottles. And I just thought, Mom, what are you doing? And that water meant the world to her, and, and she wouldn't listen to me. And I'm trying to theologically talk her off the edge there <laughs> to no avail. She said, you don't understand. I said, well, Mom, why don't you help me understand? She said, Rob, you told me that Jesus' last words on the cross. I said, yes. She said, can you recite them? And I said, well, one was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was this promise of redemption. When he turned to the thief on the cross, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But he had a, a third comment, and he said something so profound. He said, woman, behold your son. Now, just that statement alone, as Mary is at the foot of the cross with the other two Marys, there's a, uh, a trivium, trivium of Marys at the foot of the cross, but his mother was there. And he looked at her through his swollen face after he'd been brutally beaten. He's bleeding out. He just looks awful. And there on the cross, her son hangs. There's nothing she can do for him. And he says, woman, behold your son. Now that statement alone, it's like, what, what, what more do you want me to look at? I mean, Jesus couldn't move his hands to point. He just said, woman, behold your son. That initial statement, you can imagine Mary's heart being broken. What more can I observe of you? You're breaking my heart. You're, you're bleeding. You're beaten. You've been spat upon. You've been mocked. I've witnessed the brutality of what they've done to my child. But what he was saying is, woman, behold your son. And he wanted her to realize, it's not me, it's John. And then he said to John, behold your mother. And what he was doing, in A.W. Pink writes, he said, the Lord Jesus was dying as a savior for sinners. He was engaged in the most momentous and the most stupendous undertaking that this earth has ever or ever will witness. Nevertheless, he does not overlook the responsibilities of natural ties. He fails not to make provisions for her who, according to the flesh, was his mother. He understood family ties were important, and he just said, John, take care of mom. But Mary stood at the foot of the cross of the other two women. She was a sinner, just like the others. It was at that point where she did say, where he did say, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. It was a dying savior. I think of this idea that she understood that she was highly favored of the Lord. She was privileged above all other women that had ever lived, and she was chosen to bear the Messiah. She knew all these things, but she was just a woman like, we're just people. She hurt. Her heart was broken. She needed a Savior, so do we. She needed to believe in the power of the cross, but all she could see was her bloodied son. We sing about the power of the cross. Isaac Watts wrote this song to him, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, 
and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. And then he said, woman, behold your son. I share that because John took Mary to Ephesus, church tradition says. John took Mary to Ephesus, to that home in a beautiful location. I just thought, you know, John, you did a good job. My mother turned to me when we were in Ephesus and she said, Rob, Jesus told John to take care of Mary. I said, yeah, mom. And he did. And I said, look. She looked around. She says, this is a beautiful place. I said, it is. She said, then I think the Lord will take good care of me. I said, he will, mom. He will. It was there that my mother resolved in her heart that the fear of the future was now in the hands of a God of grace. The gift of grace was given to my mother in Ephesus. It was um, a Christophany, an appearance of Christ to my mother's heart. It touched her deeply and settled her in such a way I've never seen to the point where even when she went to be with the Lord, I've been by the bedside of over uh, hundreds of people who have stepped into eternity. I've never seen a more peaceful, profound death in all my life. She stayed alive to reconcile people that had issues with her and to tell them that she forgave them. She held on to place blessings over each of the children. It was, it was magnificent. I think it all occurred right there in Ephesus where God's gift of grace was poured upon my mother. She knew that her best friend who'd always cared for her, my father's modus operandi, even in the throes of Alzheimer's, was to care for my mother. He always did everything. He just knew, I don't know who you are. I don't know where I am, but I know that she's important and I'm supposed to care for her. And he didn't let go of that with every fiber of the remaining memory he had. I'll I'll never forget being at their home. And my dad was never happy with me being in the ministry. He'd never said he was happy and he tried to talk me out of it. And he he was upset that I went into the ministry and gave up my career. But I'll never forget, we were in the home and I'm sitting next to my wife on a love seat. My mother's here in a chair and my dad's in a chair over here. My dad had tried to care for my mother and he brought her a blanket and he brought her a banana and he brought her a glass of water and he brought her another banana and he brought her another blanket. I mean, it got silly. It really did. But we all just, thank you, Roy. She just put the blanket next to the other eight. And my dad sat down. My mom said, Roy, sit down. My dad sat down. And he didn't want to, he never wanted to make eye contact because he knew he'd, he knew that he'd engage in a conversation he couldn't continue. And I, I, I'm standing, and my mother and my wife are having a conversation, and I'm seated here, and I don't want to look at my dad, but I, I can just see out of the corner of my eye, he won't stop looking at me. So I, I turn and look at him, I make eye contact with him, he's staring at me. He looks at me, and he says, what do you do? I said, well, sir, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a minister. I'm a pastor of a church. You know, my son is a minister, and I'm very proud of him. That's a gift of grace. He would have never said it in his right mind. <laughs> it was a gift of grace. God is giving us a gift of grace in his son. God healed our family. He blessed us amazingly. My mother was touched at Ephesus. 
because she saw that John took care of Mary and she knew that God would take care of her and he did to her very last breath. It was probably the richest season of her life. He's cared for my father even in these difficult stages of his life. He's a pleasant man. They call him in the in the rest home, they call him Captain Love. Whenever he's the longest living patient. And when anyone has died, he's always gone into their room and laid hands on them. He doesn't speak unless it's important. And when he does, it's profound. He says to grieving families, they'll be okay. And then he walks out of the room. When he was close to death, uh, the caregivers were sobbing. He's meant so much to them. The Lord truly is cared for my mother and my dad. It's the gift of grace. I share all this with you because one of the most profound stories in the scripture that we have of Christmas is the one I want you tonight with the family God's given you. I want you to go home tonight and I want you to gather and I want you to turn off your cell phones. I want you to turn off the TV. I want you to open the living, breathing word of God to Luke chapter two and I want you to read from verse one to verse 20. I just want you to be still. It's one of the sweetest stories. It's almost like it's a, it's almost as though you've opened up a children's book. And as you've read it, it touches you. Uh, The rendition. Do we have it queued up? Look at this rendition. They're hopeless, Charlie Brown. Completely hopeless. Rats. You've been dumb before, Charlie Brown. But this time, you really did it. (laughs) What a treat. I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You can see the simplicity of the story. I think about Mary holding baby Jesus. We have accounts of him going into Egypt. We know the wise men brought the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh that allowed them to pay for that journey. 
There were more than three wise men. They traveled in large contingencies, but we do know of the three that brought the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. We, we also know the silent years from 13 to 30. I can imagine bedtime stories where Jesus is saying to Mary, can you tell me about the wise men again? You can imagine her teaching him to read. You can imagine her teaching him how to say names and to speak. You can imagine her as she's caring for him. I imagine from 13 to 30, did she tell him to get a haircut? I was thinking, you know, did she walk into his room and see it a mess and say, what, were you born in a bar? Never mind. (laughs) Thought I'd throw that out there. She cared for him and he cared for her. She loved him. And that story in Luke is so precious. It's unlike any other story in the Bible. And you know what's fascinating is, is Luke wasn't an eyewitness. He wasn't there. And in terms swaddling clothes, I mean, that's, that's a term a mother would use. The type of clothes that you wrap a child in. I, I never considered clothing but my wife and my daughter, it's like clothes are so ridiculously crazy and exciting for a child. Jack and Jill and shopping in the mall, it's like, <laughs> baby showers and all oh, this will look so cute and he looks adorable and on and on and on. And the account is such a motherly account. And as I pondered this, it was, um, it was interesting that God brought it full back to Ephesus. I'll close with this. You see, when Mary went to Ephesus with John, Paul had become a convert. He'd been so beaten up in Derby and Lystra as you follow through the book of Acts. He's, he was left for dead one time. They beat him so badly that a very wealthy Roman citizen who'd converted to Christianity had said to Paul, I want you to take my personal physician. His name's Luke. You're going to need him. And Luke bandaged up all those wounds, silently traveling with Paul, enduring the hardships of evangelism throughout a world that didn't want anything to do with Christianity in a very darkened world where the boot of Rome was on the neck of every human being. And in the darkness, people who walked in darkness had seen a great light, as it says in Isaiah 9. And this, this band of disciples turned the world right side up. And here we are, fearful. The trepidation is paralyzing us as we're watching our nation struggle in a world in turmoil. But God is still on the throne. Life is still good and God is in control. There's work to be done. Don't don't lose sight of that. But what was precious to me is for four years, Paul and Luke ministered in Ephesus, poured into the lives of people in a darkened city, a city that would be instrumental in bringing the gospel to the Western world, the same gospel that you hold dear in your families, in a nation that was conceived and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Concepts that were established from the scriptures. And there Luke and Paul labored in that town of Ephesus. And the great privilege to Luke was while he was in Ephesus, he got to sit at the feet of Mary. 
and hear the Christmas story from the broken heart of a woman who had held that baby and could describe the swaddling clothes and the mesmerized shepherds and the glorious angels and that comet in the sky and the burden of traveling in the third trimester and only a a Roman Caesar could move a woman in her third trimester. Recounting it. And Luke, by God's grace, attending to a broken and bruised man, was privileged to sit at the feet of the woman who gave birth to the Son of God. That in the stillness of our family, Families are important, and Jesus declared that from the cross. Take care of her, John. We get to open that story tonight with our family and give them the the gift of grace, the gift of hope. This year for all of us needs to be a return to the word. This year for all of us needs to be a return to the things of God. It's not enough to be a CEO Christian anymore, Christmas and Easter only. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He came that you might have life. He says, if you believe in your heart, you confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. We need to be saved. We're rudderless. We're hopeless without him. And that little city of Ephesus where my mother's life was touched and Luke's life was touched, this night in this city, your life has been touched. Jesus is the savior of the world, but he must be your savior. And if he's your savior, he can be your family's savior. Jesus changed my family. He made Alzheimer's a blessing. He made my mom's passing profound. What do you have that can equal that? God has given you his gift of grace. For it's salvation by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not of works lest any man should boast. And to receive Christ, you just say, Lord, come into my life and forgive me of my sins. And I give you my life that I might serve you with what's left. That life will make sense. And you'll take all my trash and make it a treasure. And all things will work together for good. I stand before you and testify of that truth. And today for you, on this Christmas Eve, is given the gift of grace. God's Son, your Savior. Amen.